Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Today we're pleased to present Measuring Lessons in Dollars. I'm Jeanette DePatty from the Lean Startup Conference happening November 16th through 19th in San Francisco. Visit leanstartup.co for more information. Our speakers today are David Benetti and Kirsten Cluthy. A six-time entrepreneur, David has been on the founding team of companies ranging from consumer to industrial to government to political with three stints as founder slash CEO. Currently, he helps larger organizations innovate faster with less risk through innovation options, a valuation framework he created that measures learning in dollars, allowing finance and product to speak a common language in achieving a common goal. Kirsten Cluthy is editorial director for the 2015 Lean Startup Conference. With an extensive background in programming, production, and talent management, she aims to bring the most interesting and relevant speakers to the Lean Startup stage alongside world-class conference experiences. Now, just a few housekeeping notes. We'll take questions from the audience via live chat. If you'd like to ask a question, please flag it with the letter Q followed by a colon. The speakers will be answering questions throughout the webcast, so feel free to ask questions at any time. We'll get to the questions as soon as we can, so there's no need to ask your questions twice. And now, take it away, Kirsten. Thanks, Jeanette. David, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, this is a big topic, so I'm looking forward to the conversation and also to your talk at the conference this year. Um, let's start by setting some context. Um, what is innovation accounting, and how does it differ from traditional accounting? Thanks. Well, it's great to be here. So the difference between innovation and accounting and traditional accounting, they, they both share that one special piece, which is accounting, which of course is to hold people accountable to the goals so that we can manage and measure progress. Uh, but while traditional accounting really focuses on our ability for prediction and forecasting, uh, what are you going? To, what is your budget? What is your schedule for delivery? Uh, and then we measure the performance. Did you come on time? Did you come on budget? Uh, which works if you have a long history and you can make accurate predictions about the near future. But of course, innovation projects and startups in general, whether they're startups in large organizations or stall startups, uh, they face a tremendous amount of uncertainty. And so that ability to forecast, that ability to predict the future is just non-existent. And so what innovation accounting is attempting to do is to say, okay, we can't use traditional metrics. We need to really focus on the metrics that matter, which for innovations are, are we learning about the market? Are we getting closer to a business model? Are we making progress to our goal of a sustainable and scalable business model? And so innovation accounting is really trying to focus in on those aspects of measuring progress so that we can hold people accountable to the right things. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but why aren't learning innovation accounting systems more popular? You know, why aren't learning systems more popular if that's you know something that needs to be applied to an innovation system? Sure. Well, so I think people intuit that uh, that when we're dealing with uh, conditions of uncertainty, the ability to predict the future sort of breaks down. That's true by definition. But the problem is that if we're going to hold people accountable, another really important aspect of accounting systems is that they uh, are comparable, they're contrastable, they're conventional. 
so that across an organization, across a portfolio, we're able to compare apples to apples quickly and easily. And so when we deal with this concept of learning, uh, learning doesn't fit on a balance sheet. It doesn't fit on a P&L statement. Uh, it's a more abstract concept. And so you know, any real effective accounting system has to measure in currency. It has to measure in dollars. It has to come out where we're able to look at that, that one metric for business that ultimately matters. Uh, are we making money effectively and profitably so that we have a sustainable business model? And up to this point, most of the innovation accounting, uh, while still superior to traditional accounting, has lacked that common, consistent, conventional measure of currency uh, that, that really is essential for effective accounting. So that's where the innovation options comes in. That's where the framework you, you apply the framework to. That's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly what innovation options are. Innovation options are are taking the learning, what product needs to be doing when we're under conditions of uncertainty, and match it to finances needs and goals, which is, hey, we need to measure in dollars. We need to measure the ROI. And uh, you know, I actually prepared a couple of slides, and I think this is probably a good place to to show so that people will understand um, and have probably been through this before so uh, the, particularly in larger organizations but they come up with a great idea and they say okay we want to put this idea into practice and so now we're going to go off and put together a pitch and, and get the funding we need so that we we go to the people that are going to be our funding board and we say okay this is the idea and they say well that's great show me the ROI and this is when the entrepreneur starts to sweat because they sort of have this problem. They have to show an ROI in order to get funded, so that means a NPV or similar discounted cash flow analysis, which requires them to make revenue projections. But of course, projecting the future under conditions of uncertainty is basically impossible, so they have to make those predictions out of thin air, and then they realize that if they don't deliver on those predictions, well, then you're going to be considered a failure. And it's at this point that they realize it's a trap. And fundamentally, the accounting system itself is the problem. So when we look at these traditional methods, traditional accounting, we have the standard product life cycle. And we say, OK, uh, we're going to invest a little bit here, uh, but we're going to make a bunch of money here. And overall, that's profitable. And so, so we're going to use that in order to fund our idea. But since we can't predict the future accurately, sometimes this happens, or worse, in which case we lose a bunch of money because we were improperly estimating the future. And of course, we can't tell which of these curves is correct until it's too late. So we really need a better way. NPV is super risky under these conditions of uncertainty. It forces us to make critical decisions at the precise moment we have the least amount of information, and so really we need this valuation approach that demonstrates a positive ROI while delaying the investment decisions until we need more. And that's why we need options. And they're very much like financial options. They delay investment decisions till we have more information. They manage uncertainty. And they have an intrinsic value. So they're used extensively in finance. They're used in agriculture, real estate. Basically, wherever there's risk to be managed, you find options that manage it. And the riskiest things of all are startups, so we need innovation options. 
And that's really the, the brief overview of, of what we're trying to accomplish with innovation options, using a different approach because we know the traditional approach has got a lot of issues. Yeah, and actually when you talk about the other industries that are using it, that actually it's a good analogy because you can sort of see how it might apply and how it might work when you think about those agriculture and, and um, airlines, for example, you know, and how that might work. And we tend to think of them as these sort of exotic uh, things and derivatives and so forth. But, you know, any of us who have ever purchased a house, we probably locked in our mortgage weight when we started shopping. And why did we do that? Because we wanted to remove the risk associated with fluctuating interest rates. And now we can have certainty about how much home we can afford. We had to pay a little bit of money for that. But all of that risk that was associated with our mortgage rate in, uh, is just gone. And that is another example of an option at work. So they're, they're all over their place. They use really extensively and their, their fundamental goal is to manage risk. Yeah. So I have to ask you just to add a little more context to the conversation. How did you get to this point? What, what got you to develop the concept for innovation options? So, you know, the, the first and most important thing is that I, I knew that if you're going to do anything with accounting, if you don't measure in dollars, then it's never going to be accepted by the finance people. And we can talk about all the things that we need to do, and rightfully so, about, uh, about failing fast and failing productively and measuring learning. Uh, but, but ultimately, finance is, is going to need to see uh, uh, the ROI. And if they don't, then they're not going to fund these projects. So it has to measure in dollars. The concept for options was actually quite serendipitous, and that was really when I was just thinking about a pivot, uh, what of course is a very standard lean startup concept, and how really a pivot is fundamentally an option. We're taking the option to either continue or do something different, and whether we exercise the option is whether or not we're actually engaging in a pivot. And so once that started to spin around in my brain, I said, well, if a pivot is an option, I know options can be priced because there are option pricing models and they value billions of dollars of transactions every day. So can we bring these two concepts together? Uh, and it, it took quite some time before I put the pieces together and the math was actually reasonably complicated. But, uh, but once I sort of realized, ah, we can actually model our decisions as we're going through the build, measure, learn loop as an option, suddenly we have the mechanisms to price and produce an ROI in dollars. It's interesting and makes so much sense when you explain it that way <laughs> and sounds so easy. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you, can you talk about the correlation between MVPs and innovation options? Sure. So, so basically what we're saying with an innovation option, is, as I just mentioned, at the, at the end of an MVP, you have to come to a conclusion of are we going to accelerate this business model? Have we achieved product market fit? Do we know what we're going to accomplish uh, as a business? And if the answer is yes, then you move on and you start to accelerate or you raise funds or whatever decision that you need to do to, to move forward. But that MVP actually gives you the ability to be able to say, aha, I now have sufficient information where I'm no longer trying to predict the future. I'm no longer trying to guess what happens. I actually have some information on what's happened based upon my experience. And so uh, the uh, the MVP, and excuse me, I'm getting a quick message in here, uh, uh, and I think that question will need to be asked again just because I wasn't able to read it entirely, so okay. on the back, in the back end. Uh, so the MVP is really designed to give us the opportunity to get the actual information about the system uh, so that uh, we're able to make an intelligent decision on whether or not we should move forward or pivot. And that's, again, should we exercise the option? Should we let it expire? Um, 
So it's probably worthwhile to go through a concrete example of this because then people yeah. can see it in action. I was going to ask you, because I think you've got some examples of that, some visuals, which help. Yeah, I think the visuals will help quite a bit. So uh, let's go back to these slides. And uh, somebody will let me know if it's not showing up properly. But uh, we saw, again, the product life cycle, the standard product life cycle. And the option actually exists before that. This is a decision that we make before we make a main investment. So again, let's go back. Somebody's got a great idea. They want to do something with it. And so to construct an innovation option and to calculate the ROI, they only need to start off with three pieces of information that are exactly the same amount of information that they're using today when they're producing a traditional accounting approach. And so the first thing we need to say is, okay, if I'm going to build this widget, if I'm going to come up with this great idea, uh, let's just say that it's a, a smart doorbell. So an internet-enabled smart doorbell we want to produce, and, and we say, okay, if I want to produce this internet-enabled smart doorbell, I'm going to need $20 million to build it. And that's what we would ask of finance. And I am estimating that the best case scenario, the market potential for this uh, is a $200 million business. So this isn't a specific revenue projection. It's how big do I think this business could be in the best case scenario? And then we say, okay, and I'm going to need to provide reviews to my investment board, to my finance board, to my VCs, whoever the financers are, and I'm going to do that on a quarterly basis. And so we take these inputs and we put them into the option pricing model, which looks like this. Ah, oh boy, that's a lot of math. Math, math hurt brain. Uh, so I, I'm not going to go into detail on the math here because it's actually kind of hard. Um, but the important thing to know is that, look, I didn't make it up. Um, this is the exact equation that values billions of dollars worth of option trades every single day of the year. And so what we get out of that when we apply those inputs to the math is a pricing tree. And the important thing to know about the pricing tree is that it basically models what could happen given a set of outcomes. If things all go good, what happens? If things all go bad, what happens? And if things stay flat, what happens? And each of these nodes measures and produces a particular number that represents the value at that time. So this is where we start, and it says, okay, if we're going to have those three inputs, this particular ROI for this project is $6.5 million. And we say, great, okay. So when we get to a decision point, this is the only question we have to answer. Given what we have learned since the last iteration, are we in a better, worse, or about the same position as we were before? And this is all we need to do to be able to recalculate the value of the option automatically. So let's say that John is building a smart doorbell and he starts to go off, he runs an MVP, and puts it in front of uh, some large retailers, Home Depot, and they say, oh my gosh, this is great, I love this idea, uh, I, we really want to put this in our stores. So he gets some signed MOUs, validated learning, all the standard lean startup techniques, and they come back and they say, wow, the new value of the option is $17.9 million. Uh, so this is great. They say, let's go ahead and continue. So we get to the second review, and uh, he puts some legal agreements in front of these retailers, and they said, okay, this looks great. Um, we're going to have legal review them. He didn't get the signature, so that's not exactly progress, but they didn't say no, so we'll consider that flat. Value now changes to $16.9 million. Then he comes to the third quarter. He gets the signed agreements. They start rolling in. He's able to put the product in the stores, and he starts to see some initial sales. The uh, value jumps to $43 million. 
Then at the final, he says, okay, the sales were about in line as what we expected. Not stellar, not bad. So we'll call this flat. The final value is 43.3 million. So now we can see this is a positive NPV. We should go ahead, proceed with the project, and make the investment. Now, of course, sometimes things don't always go well. So let's say that instead of in Q3, instead of the agreements being signed, they say, well, legal still looking at them. We don't know. We're starting to get a little nervous, but still no bad news. Then the fourth quarter comes by. Oh, I'm sorry. We really didn't like this idea. We're not going to sign the agreement. Uh, and the value gets degraded. It drops to zero. Clearly now we're not going to proceed because we're not going to spend $20 million for something that's worth nothing. And then we have the final case where things sometimes are really ugly, where we start to go off and run our MVPs and get some customer feedback, and we get bad news. And then we get bad news again. And we realize as we're about six months into the project that really nobody cares about this. And we can see from the option value tree that even if we start to get good news, there's not enough time left for us to actually make this valuable. And so here's where we can decide, aha, we have an option value of zero. We're not going to get above zero no matter what we do. It's time to pivot. And so this is an example of, again, we run MVPs, we run MVPs, we run MVPs, we reach these decision points, we report back, we get a new value, and now we have a handy way to be able to determine whether or not we should continue or move on. And this, at its core, is really the main essence of the decision. When we have an MPV, we set these matters in the future, we have them all by year, we try to predict ridiculous amounts in the future, and then once we set, we have to stay there. When we go to the option present value, here are the potential outcomes we need to determine and determine which of these paths make sense. That makes sense. That's a good. Um, it's it's much. It's very helpful to see the visuals like that. Um, it makes a, a total difference. Um, when I let me flip the slide off. There we go. Um, so, is innovation accounting? And this may seem like a simple question, but is it a different exercise for startups versus an enterprise organization? So, somebody that's got an you know they've got an innovation project in an enterprise org. Like, you know, can they use the same model, or how would you how would you describe the two or advise the two? So to answer your question about whether or not we, the startups and enterprises are different, yes, startups and enterprises are actually are actually quite different. Uh, and obviously, the needs of the enterprise are much more significant because they uh, they 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 have shareholders; they have to report publicly. Whereas individual entrepreneurs, uh, they can either worry about it themselves, or if they have uh, VCs, uh, then the VCs can potentially be a little bit more flexible. Not really, um, but the other way to really think about it is that. The innovation option, it helps protect the larger organization against disruptions to their existing businesses. So larger organizations like their existing businesses and they want them to keep spinning out profit as much as possible. We just understand that every once in a while there are disruptions that take that established business model and shake it up. And so the way to think of an innovation option is to help larger organizations protect against those big profitable businesses going away by providing something to replace it. And so in that way, innovation options are, are like profit insurance. 
Like, like, and we write an innovation policy to say, okay, if all these profits go away, here's something that's going to replace it. And I think the reason that's really important to think about it in those terms is that, um, that like, when somebody thinks about life insurance, uh, nobody spends money on life insurance hoping to die. No, nobody comes to the end of the year and says, man, what a waste that life insurance policy is. It didn't pay off one single penny. Right? And innovation options are the same concept. If we only look at it in terms of are you producing all of this revenue, then we're really missing the point of the exercise, which is to take chances to protect against bad things happening to our large-scale businesses. And so as long as we look at innovation options and say, okay, we can buy the option, and just the fact that we bought insurance is valuable, uh, that is something that's, that's very, very useful and very critical to the enterprise because an individual startup, they don't have established profitable businesses to protect. So they're going to find that that less compelling than a larger organization, which is like, oh, yes, I have all of these profitable businesses. I want insurance for them. Give me innovation options. That makes sense. Um, so there, there are two questions that came in that referred to your slides, so I'm going to ask them now. Um, sure. The first question is, how to determine the numbers in the matrix, so in the model so, that you... So that comes from the equation, and essentially I'll, I'll talk about it in an abstract term. So the, the equations are relatively relatively complicated, you know, version of this won the Nobel Prize for economics, so uh, you know, there's a reason for that. Um, but essentially what it says is we're going to take all of the potential range of possibilities, right? So we look at that, that, that tree and we say, these are all the things that could happen. We discount that at a particular discount rate, so people familiar with finance understand that. Then we say, okay, if we take them all to our logical conclusions, what's the present value of that? And those result in terminal values. So we say, okay, what's all the possibilities and the possibilities of that happening? Then step two, what are the terminal values uh, at the end, if we come to the end, we have to make a decision. And then finally, we take all of those back to the present and discount them again according to the probability of them actually taking place and saying, okay, we take all of that back to time zero, what's the value of the entire range of possibility today? And that's your ROI. That's the value of the option. And so when you're looking at traditional option pricing, those are all just hypotheticals. They just all say, what if things go good? What if things go bad? What if things stay the same? And it looks at that as an academic exercise. Innovation options are special in the sense that we can go out and find the answer to that question. And so if the answer is good, then okay, we're good. If the answer is bad, okay, we're bad. And the value uh, adjusts accordingly. And so that is the real key difference, uh, and it's how, how the, the, the pricing tree is constructed. But you take those three inputs, investment required, total market potential, reporting frequency, input those into the equation, and I have software that does this, <laughs> in case the math is a little too scary. Um, and the pricing tree is produced automatically, and then it simply adjusts as you get new information about the market. Somebody did ask if there was an OTS app for doing the complicated math. So. Yes, it's, uh, you can find uh, the, the site at innovation-options.com, innovation-options.com, uh, and there's a quick link there to sign up and uh, uh, sign up for the beta, and I'll be able to set people up with that and want to try it out. 
Okay, fantastic. Um, so I want to ask, uh, what are some key performance indicators to watch for in the innovation accounting model? Sure. So I think that the, the, the really the KPIs that you need to look at are, are really, really two main KPIs. And one of them is, is called the sigma, and that's a measure of risk associated with the project. And then the second um, is really the diagnostics, which is what is the testing accuracy that we've achieved? Um, I think it's important to, to point out that even though you can recalculate the value of an innovation option at any point during its life, we really shouldn't look at value itself as the KPI. Because if we do that, if we say, well, you've got to keep the value going up and to the right and require that, then, then essentially we're just replacing MPV with different math, right? So, so we really want to look at some different, some different KPIs. And I think actually this, again, would be useful to bring in a few slides because the visuals here I think are, are useful. Let me just see if this, this picks up. All right, so Sigma and, and the diagnostics. So again, this is sort of based on, on the software uh, that I wrote, but, but essentially the thing to realize here is that this is a project that has all the same inputs and is reporting quarterly. And then if we have a similar project that has all of the same inputs but reports monthly, then we have a vastly different risk. And we see that the pricing trees between the quarter of the reporting, the pricing tree is quite small. And then between the month of reporting, the pricing tree is actually quite large. And so this is reflected in the risk. And we say, OK, if everything else is equal as a finance professional, we want the project that has less risk. So, so, excuse me, so an innovation option actually emits that risk factor as what's called a sigma, and now we can actually measure risk directly. And so this encourages us to speed up our MVPs because more speed directly means less risk. It doesn't guarantee success. It improves the chances, but again, you know, we can't guarantee success. It's not predictable. The goal is to reduce the risk. And then the other piece is the diagnostics, where we say, okay, we've come to the conclusion, we've decided whether or not we actually want to, to exercise this option. And so, so this basically is, is Eric's formulation of whether we have a pivot or persevere decision and whether or not we decide to proceed. And so we say, okay, do we have enough knowledge to move forward? And we say, okay, yes, we're going to go with this project. So we exercise the option, we make the investment and proceed. Or we say we've come to the end of the option, it's a dead duck, we don't want to waste the money, we decide to pass. Or we say, well, we don't have enough information yet, so let's continue and try to get more. Or, of course, the pivot where, look, we don't have enough information, but we know what we're doing now isn't working, let's pivot. Well, this actually happens to correspond to a standard contingency table, which people that are familiar with medical diagnostics will, will see this, or statistics testing where we basically are saying, look, did we say, yes, we want to go, we're going to make, make the investment, and that was the right decision. Yay, we had success. That's what we want. right? But what is also equally fine is that we say, look, we don't want to proceed. So we say, no, we're not going to continue. We're not going to exercise the option. And by the way, that was the right decision, because if we had moved forward, we would have lost money. And now we say, okay, we have an opportunity benefit because we have the ability to pursue something else. What we want to avoid is the type 1 and type 2 error, the false positive and the false negative. If we say, look, 
we passed on this opportunity and it was actually the right decision, well, that's an opportunity cost. The firm could have made money and we blew it. But then we see what MPV sort of drives us into, which is the false positive, which is that we assumed that things would go well, and in fact, they went terribly, and we lost a ton of money because we made an investment that we should have made. So the key point here is that we want the truth. True positives, true negatives, they're equal. If we demand only success, then we're just replicating the same problems with MPV. False positives, false negatives, that's the enemy. And we want the truth. But of course, management can't always handle the truth, and we have to realize that that's a management issue. Learning is the fundamental basis of MVPs. It's the core of Lean Startup. It's the difference between assumptions and knowledge. And we have to realize and appreciate that accurate bad news is vastly superior to inaccurate good news. And so when we're looking at and considering our KPIs, that's really the key thing that we have to focus on. We want the truth. If it's good truth, if it's bad truth, we'll handle them both. Now we can make a smart decision. Innovation options, the, the, the KPIs that are associated with that really have us focus in on the truth and moving faster to get to the truth faster so that we reduce our risk. Those are the two main KPIs. Great. Um, so, you know, it's it's uh, it makes a lot of sense, and I but I imagine that people struggle with trying to convince their accounting teams that this is actually a good model, or that they can feel that they can feel comfortable with it. Um, but I think that there's some good there's a good foundation and some good data that people can use to help convince them. Do you have experience? In your experience, have you run into people and sort of who need that sort of coaching to help convince? Well, the, yeah, I mean, the, the great thing is that finance loves this uh, because finance uh, sort, sort of like says, okay, fine, Lean Startup is finally paying attention to me, right? Before, they just came to me and they said, hey, look, I've got this project. Get me some money. I'm going to fail a lot. And they're like, what are you talking about? Uh, and, and, and now finance is like, okay, I can dig into the numbers. I can get an ROI. I can get a sigma risk measurement. I don't have a risk measurement with MPV. Uh, that risk measurement adjusts. I get frequent updates, and it, it can calculate real time. My God, it measures in dollars. Finally, something that measures in dollars. And but ultimately, people have to realize: Do they want to go with the double? They know. And look, everybody knows that MPV is a complete disaster. You start to just dig down on even a tiny little bit, and like it completely falls apart. And everybody knows that. They just haven't had an alternative. And so the CFOs that I've spoken with are frantically trying to put this into place, um, the product managers, strangely enough, are sometimes the ones that get a little dicey because, again, you know, the math is complicated, and let's just be blunt. The, the conversations between finance and product, they don't always go well, and there's a lot of mistrust. In my mind, that mistrust comes from the fact that finance has put product in an impossible position because they're asking them to predict the future and then hold them accountable when the future is impossible to predict under conditions of uncertainty. And the product has put finance in a bad position because their response is, look, just don't measure me. I'm just going to go learn a lot. and Just trust me, it's all going to work out. And finance doesn't have any clue whether or not they're actually making progress or just setting the money on fire. If I can't measure you, how can I know? And so the innovation options helps them both speak the same language so they can both achieve the same goal. And so I would expect we're going to see a lot more of this type of approach for, uh, for things that 
are relevant to innovation accounting, and, and not everything is. Yeah, I think the, the key there is, is getting people to speak the same language, right? I mean, that's sort of the most important, almost the most important thing, is then they have a common understanding. Yeah. Um, so one other question sort of related to that. You know, it, it seems that startups live, exist in this environment of uncertainty, and that's sort of why it's, it's, it's exciting and, and why this all kind of is a good model to look at for people that are trying to start something new, and there's a proven method to it. Um, so therefore, is the investment community also comfortable with this? I mean, not versus at Net Enterprise CFO, like, you know, people that would invest in startup organizations. This is sort of the, the world that they operate in. It might be a place to look for um, examples. Sure. So I think, you know, the one that, that I sort of touched upon the most was Ben Horowitz when he was speaking with Eric at the last Lean Startup Conference and the sort of bemoaning the fact that there is no core set of metrics that allows them from a VC perspective to manage their overall portfolio and to say, how do we measure progress across our portfolio? Because they have the same constraints as larger enterprise. They have scarce resources. They have to allocate them effectively. And today they use relatively imperfect methods, which is where is social proof coming from other people? And you know, has the entrepreneur been an entrepreneur in the past? And these are you know, imperfect measurements, but they're really the best that we can come up with. So uh, as I was sort of considering that conversation and saying, well, now you have something that VCs can use to manage their portfolio that can actually calculate the overarching value. It gives them some understanding of how much money they're going to need in the future for provisioning from their LPs. Uh, it gives them a risk measurement to be able to say, okay, are we actually measuring uh, the right things and moving fast enough? And they can report on a common schedule, and that common schedule reporting can actually say, okay, uh, this is what the new value is for all these organizations. And we say, we want you to move faster, your risk goes down. Uh, so they have this mechanism for doing so. Whereas right now, you know, we get together every six weeks and say, how's everything going? Great, and then move on. Uh, we want to be able to say, look, it's okay if we don't have all the answers right now. Uh, I, as a, as a VC, I have an entire portfolio of options, and, and that's okay. I want to make yours successful. You want to make yours successful. In both cases, we want the truth. So whatever the truth is, because look, if you don't come up with the truth, you're not going to get your next round of funding. So that's our shared goal. Great. Um, okay, a couple more questions that are coming through. Um, does the project get funded incrementally with each quarterly review? So that's a good question. Sort of as you go along, how what what's the what's the transaction that happens? So no. So you have to buy the option from the beginning. And so this is a very important point. I'm glad it was asked. Because this is one of the things that is great in the VC world and is actually really not so good in the enterprise world. In the VC world, when they give you their check, they don't ask for a refund. <laughs> if it's gone, it's gone, and that's fine. They're comfortable with that. Or, of course, in the enterprise, you get set a budget, and then they take it away. So when we're actually looking at this option, we're saying, look, this is an all-or-nothing decision, and just like when you buy a financial option in the real world, you can't get a refund. You only have the opportunity at the end to exercise it or let it expire. And so that is really an important piece where you say, here is your funding up front. Now, if you come through and you say, well, we've gone through a couple of iterations, the value of this is zero. We'd like to save and recoup some of our losses. That's totally fine. You can make that decision. But it should be made on the basis of what does the model show as opposed to capricious, 
oh gosh, you know, the street numbers were bad, we have to kill all of our innovation projects, right? And, you know, again, the insurance analogy. Uh, when, when, uh, when families have a little, they need to tighten their belt, the first thing they do is not cancel the life insurance policy. You know, they'll find someplace else to do that first. And so, so the, the, the key point here is that you can make a decision, and if you want, you can exercise early. You can say, look, I've gotten six months in, and I've decided, you know, this is a winner. I already know enough. I'm comfortable. I want to make the decision. I want to exercise the option right now. You don't have to wait till the end until it expires. You can exercise it early. Or you could decide to cash it in and sell it early. Either of those is fun, and the option model allows you to do it. But again, when you're looking at that opportunity in the beginning, that ROI justifies your original budget. Um, another question is, what determines the funding to get started? Is that based on an options pricing calculation? No, it should. What it really is dependent on is, what is it going to take for me to build this product at scale? Right? If you did a normal, like, we're going to get a big bang launch, we're going to do a big MPV, and I wanted to say, okay, I want to build this doorbell, it's going to take me $20 million to do it. It's going to take me $5 million to source, it's going to take me $5 million to build the team, it's going to take me $5 million to do the marketing budget, and it's going to take me $5 million to do general and administration. So whatever that budget is, uh, and it's again, it's just the senior budget that we put together for an MPV analysis, all those costs under the curve, that actually we can predict very accurately because we have experience. We pretty much know what it's going to take to build something. Um, and, and I think another way to look at this is that it really is the difference between market risk and product risk, technical risk. The, the technical risk is embodied in what is the option strike price? What, is the, what are we going to actually exercise this option for? In the original concrete case, that was the $20 million to build the smart doorbell. If we have technical risk, that's embodied in that number. So maybe the number winds up being $25 million, maybe it winds up being $15 million. But we're going to be reasonably close because our knowledge of the technical risk involved is relatively good. You know, I know what it will cost for me to build this. The market risk is what could happen. It could be $200 million. It could be nothing. We don't know, and we don't have any way of knowing until we start to get some intelligence from the market. And you'll notice that the difference between the technical risk, 20, 25, 15, you know, but about that, as opposed to the market risk, 200 or nothing. Uh, you know, that, that's really significant. And so the innovation options are really a way to try to focus in and identify and zero in on the market risk. That's what we want to reduce. And the only way that you reduce it, through trial and error. Um, so are there any examples of companies that have used this that you can sort of think of or sort of talk about a little bit? I mean, possibility. Possibility. <laughs> um, just, just to put a concrete example around you know, a company that has used this, this method. Yeah, so no, unfortunately none that I can talk about. And let's also be very direct. This is very new, uh, you know, this, this concept and this idea about innovation options. Uh, I'm assuming that we're going to start to see a little bit more uptake here, but, but it's, it's, it's something that people are looking at and saying, you know, the people that are employing it, they don't necessarily want others to know yet, uh, so I'll need to respect that. Uh, but uh, but I suspect that when, when people see that the differences between what they're doing now with MPV and all the problems that are associated with that versus innovation options, I think we'll see more people be willing to talk about that. 
Okay, I just had to ask just to, just to see if there was any Um So I just would like to talk a little bit about, um, I was talking when, you were, when we were having some technical difficulties about what, we're gonna, what you're going to do at the conference and, and sort of why, what people would get out of coming to the conference or interacting with you and sort of learning about this, sort of applying this in a practical way. Can you talk a little bit about innovation options as, as a framework and, and how, to, how to work in it and, and perhaps who might be the right person to come in and sort of sit in your workshop? Right, so I think the two main audience are for finance, uh, people that are engaged in finance, uh, or for uh, product, people that are doing product, product meeting product teams, uh, having to, to, uh, to be able to come up with these ideas. And, and I think that the intermix between the two, of particular use would be people that are managing multiple innovation projects. Because when they're managing multiple innovation projects, they can use this approach to actually look at and value their overall portfolio and know, okay, which innovation project are we going to put our chips behind and which do, needs more time. And so then they'll have a consistent framework that, again, measures the value consistently, measures the risk consistently. Uh, so anybody that's sort of like managing innovation projects uh, for their company. Um, but, you know, the ones who have been the most excited about it is the uh, finance people, oh, because now they suddenly have a tool that makes sense to them that, that uh, doesn't require them to take leaps of faith that are, you know, hard and, and very different for people that aren't familiar with the Lean Startup movement that do have a background in finance. Um, and in thinking about teams, so one of the things that um, we talk about when we think about design, for example, is bringing in people at the beginning of the, of the product development to get sort of from across the company um, so that everybody sort of understands what's happening. Would you, would you recommend that for, for this in terms of product development and building a product? Sort of everybody gets on board with this system whether or not they work in the finance department or the product department. Because right. so, is it useful? Is it useful to understand that the the model? Well, I think everybody just wants to know the model because they want to see what's happening under the hood, right? And then once somebody understands what's happening under the hood, even if they don't get it entirely, uh, then they can then they can say, okay, well, I have some confidence that that what's happening here is something that's reasonable. So for anybody that wants to do that on their own, you can go look up Phelan Boyle, B O Y L E, uh, and that's the trinomial pricing model. That's what's been employed here. Uh, you can look up uh, other other aspects of, of actual like option pricing theory. There are option pricing calculators out there. Um, and the important thing to realize is that when you apply it to innovation, you just have to use the inputs correctly because, of course, you know these are not traditional financial options. These are innovation options. So the concepts are the same. The math is the same. The valuation approach is the same. Uh, but the inputs are obviously very different. Awesome. Um, so somebody asked if there is uh, if the equation is available online. The right. Equation, so, is it, is it? Yeah. So I, so so I, I can anticipate your questions before they come. Maybe I can't predict. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, again, the yeah, Phelan Boyle that that's that's the uh, original uh, trinomial pricing model that's been employed there, and, and you can find the equations. They're also are part of the slides, and so we'll we'll have them as part of the slides, and people will be able to dig in. And if anybody else is interested, they can they can send me a note and uh, or sign up, and, and I'm happy to happy to give them a, a more detailed overview uh, of the method and the approach. Um, um, you know, I think that I think one thing that's probably worth worth pointing out is that there is this is not a all or nothing thing for organizations. Like there are plenty of occasions where traditional accounting actually is the better choice. 
Uh, and, you know, in one particular instance, I remember I was consulting with a client and we were trying to teach them innovation accounting and I was sort of going through a different approach. And the guy sort of turned to me and says, wait a minute, why are we going to do all this stuff? Why are we doing this lean startup? It's like, I know that if I can deliver a product at 10% less cost and 50% better performance, I'm going to make 22% better sales. Because I've done this for 20 years and I have all the models. I know exactly that is the right answer. And, and I felt kind of silly because, of course, he was absolutely right. And here we were trying to force lean startup on him saying, oh, no, you, you need to take this approach. But for him, no, it wasn't a better choice. Traditional accounting for him made a ton of sense. So the real benchmark is when I'm making forecasts, revenue forecasts, when I'm making budget estimations, how confident am I that I'm actually going to hit those targets? Because when you sit and you go back and you look at a lot of these business plans and proposals that are put together, they have tremendous accuracy. You know, going out 10 years, by month, I'm going to sell 2,722 units at a profit margin of $75 in the year 2027. And when you think about that, that's ridiculous on its face. Like, like there's no way that that prediction could possibly be accurate. But we dress it up with, with buying Gartner reports and fancy, fancy Excel documents and huge equations to try to give ourselves the comfort that we can actually predict that number that far in the future, when in fact it's simply not true. But if you can say, look, for this product, I know if I improve it by X amount, I'm going to get Z more sales, then use a traditional accounting approach. It's better, it's faster, it's cheaper, it's easier. When you can't predict the future, or you're a startup and you're dealing with uncertainty all over the place, then I think innovation options are a better approach because they don't require you to make predictions that basically are total fabrications. And we just have to admit it, they're total fabrications. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, to your point, it's important to know the truth, right? Yeah. And acknowledge it. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Um, well, we are out of questions and out of time. So I just want to say thank you very much for um, doing this with us today. And I'm, I think that it's going to be great to have you at the conference in November. And uh, I want to let everybody know that the resources are available online, so your slides will be available. Um, and we will uh, have the webcast available. and. Hopefully, everybody will come and see you in November. That'd be great. Thanks so much. Okay, take care. Take care. Okay. Jeanette, handing it back to you. Thanks to everyone for joining us today. This wraps up our show. Please join us again for the next webcast on August 13th. In the meantime, visit leanstartup.co for more information on the Lean Startup Conference. November 16th through 19th in San Francisco.